Shalom, and thank you for listening to the weekly teaching from Nachamu Ami. It's our honor that you've chosen to participate virtually, and we hope that this lesson will be an inspiration in your daily walk. Don't miss a single teaching. Be sure to download the Nachamu Ami app by visiting our website at www.makeandmessianic.com and clicking the Download the App button in the top left corner. Enjoy the message. Well, my friends, I've made a I've made a relatively big deal about what we're getting ready to do, which is begin a new series. And the series title is what you see before you. A Better Covenant, Yeshua and the Sacrificial System, which one might think this should be a pretty short sermon series, because in essence, the tagline, Yeshua and the Sacrificial System, in essence, cancel each other out by by standard reckoning. And so that's my starting point, is to explain that we have a problem on our hands, And it's best stated from the movie Cool Hand Luke, what we got here is failure to communicate. (laughs) Because we have a major, major misunderstanding in in our way of looking at as a believing community. The sacrificial system, that is the sacrifices that we are, three weeks ago we began the book of Vayikra, and it says, and he called, and the Lord said to Moses, and then we open up this entire book that focuses on blood and fat and organs and smoke and things going up and things dying and all this other kind of stuff, and it's, it's like almost a terrifying book. And why is it not a surprise then that every, everybody wants to like skim over it? I read through some of Leviticus this week as I was preparing. I've been reading a lot of it lately. And that's really a lot of the things that we're reading about in these particular sections of the book. We're learning about fat around organs and things like that. As I told you in the email yesterday introducing today's message, That's not my focus as we try to resolve the problem. You probably are not going to hear me talk about any goat kidneys, okay? So rest easy. But there is this problem that stands before us. We are a messianic synagogue. We are messianic Jews and messianic Gentiles. We have an understanding that Yeshua came to this earth to redeem the world and to allow us access into the kingdom of God. We came, he came, not with the, not with the intention of tearing the Torah down or undoing the failures and faults that God had given before when he gave us the word of God. We understand, we think, why Yeshua came to the earth. We think we do. But yet, our problem lies in the fact that we are a very, very small section of the believing community. And the majority of the believing community, even within Messianic Judaism, has a tendency to support, promote, and teach the idea 
that Yeshua has come to do away with the old covenant, to bring us into the new covenant, to do away with the, let, the Torah of the letter and put us with the Torah of, of the heart. And a lot of miscommunications, the majority of which are drawn from one book. Can you guess? It's in the New Testament. The book of Hebrews. As I was talking with Darren yesterday, he made this point and I realized, yes, it's true. Were the book of Hebrews not in the New Testament? And we're going to talk about the word New Testament as we go along. And Brit Hadashah and New Covenant and all those titles for the book that, are, that is the apostolic scriptures, but not today. But Darren said, if the book of Hebrews were not in the New Testament, the sacrificial system would never even have been questioned. It would just be part of what God did and, and provided. But herein lies the difficulty. We have scriptures in the New Testament, in the book of Hebrews, that say things like this. Now, if perfection was through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, people received the law, the Torah, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be designated according to the order of Aaron? In other words, by traditional Christian reckoning, The Levitical priesthood was a major failure in what it was intended to do. And that brings us to the primary problem and consideration today. That the Levitical priesthood was intended to remove our sins and allow us access to heaven. Okay? I want you to hear that. That is the fundamental problem. And when we read things like the book of Hebrews, as we continue, once on the one hand, there is a setting aside of a former commandment because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. What does that mean to you if you don't understand the book of Hebrews, the author, the audience, the context? What does that mean? It means that the Torah is useless and weak, and it has been set aside. How has it been set aside? By the coming of Messiah, because he did something better. He did do something better, but he didn't do that. But that's what the text says. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. And so much the more also Jesus, Yeshua, has become the guarantee of a better covenant. What does that mean? The old covenant, not good. What is the old covenant? What is the new covenant? But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. What's happening here? Everything that was is seemingly garbage. And what Jesus brought is all that matters. When he said a new covenant, he made the first and this you must set in your mind. 
Hebrews 8.13, when he made, when he said a new covenant, when did Yeshua say a new covenant? When he took up his cup and said, this is my blood, new covenant. When he said it, he made the first obsolete. That's a pretty strong statement and a very definitive statement. If you function within the traditional church and the Christian understanding, is it any, does it need to be any more clear that Yeshua, in essence, has done away with some of the things that we as Messianic believers find quite beautiful and valuable, and that is the Torah. Whatever is becoming obsolete, which by this reckoning is the Torah, and living according to it, are growing old and ready to disappear. But We don't have to just look in the book of Hebrews if we want to support the traditional Christian understanding of the sacrificial system and how ugly and old and bad it is. Hosea 6.6, one of many, many prophetic uh, statements from the prophets that I could give you. God himself says, for I delight in loyalty rather than sacrifice. And in the knowledge of God, rather than burnt offerings, that's pretty straightforward. So it would seem. But we have this challenge. We've just read all these things, and yet the Leviticus, the Levitical priesthood, how is it described in the Torah? What is the word that God uses? And it shall be for them an appointment as priests forever. But wait a minute. We just read the new and better book of Hebrews that tells us that that whole priest thing can't work. For the Lord your God has chosen him out of all your tribes, who is him, Aaron, the priest, Kohen, to stand, to serve in the name of the Lord, him and his sons. Gosh, we've got a problem. And here is the problem. Yeshua said this in Matthew 5. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Where did I get those texts from about the priesthood? Where did I get them? I got them from the Torah, which is known as the law, sort of. Yeshua himself, our Messiah, our master, our teacher told us, I didn't come to abolish the law or prophets. I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them, and that's a whole nother sermon. But if Hebrews tells us the priesthood is bad and gone, and there's a new one, but the Torah says it's going to last forever, and Yeshua says, I didn't do away with the Torah, do you see a problem with our understanding of things? We're butting heads. And... This sermon, this series, this teaching is intended to correct the problem because here's what I want to tell you. Of all the things I've studied in my studies, of all the things I've learned about the Word of God and Yeshua, nothing is more powerful than the place we end up at the end of this sermon, series. Nothing to me personally. And because of that, 
I believe wholeheartedly that for you, there is a blessing awaiting that is going to draw you closer, more powerfully connected to Yeshua, to the Word, to the Torah, to understanding, because we have a responsibility as disciples of Yeshua. And it is found in 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, revere Messiah as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. So, can you explain to me the answer to just a few questions? What is the purpose of the sacrifices? Why did the sacrifices exist? Was Yeshua a sacrifice? What about the book of Hebrews? Is the sacrificial system pleasing to God? Did Yeshua do away with them? Why did Yeshua die? It says Yeshua was our Passover sacrifice. What does that mean? How do we have access from this world, the Olam Hazeh, into the next world, Olam Haba? What did Yeshua really do? Why do we need to understand the architecture and layout of the temple in order to understand our salvation. Well, Damien, I'm not a theologian. I'm not an academician. All I want to do is tell people, Jesus died so that you can go to heaven, but you're missing out on the power. You're missing out on a power. You're missing out on something that you can share with people. And you see, I want to help make things clear. What about covenants? Why do some people refer to the, to the apostolic scriptures as the new covenant? Is the Torah the old covenant? I don't need you to be a theologian. I don't need you to read thousands of pages of material. But I do need you to commit to coming along with me for the next period of time as we really dig in to some stuff that seemingly is difficult to understand when you read the book of Hebrews and try to reconcile it. But it is not at the end of it. And what is waiting for you there is an incredibly powerful way of understanding it and being able to correct the problem when your friends say, the sacrifices are gone. Jesus did away with everything. Because that is not the truth. And that is our fundamental problem. And my job is to help you do that. But I can't do it alone, so I will need you involved. You are not going to sit there and just listen to me talk and let it run in one ear and out the other. You are going to have to read study and pray. I'm going to be relying on a number of scholars that have come before me with great works, Daniel Lancaster. Uh, I won't even go into the names. Uh, and as a matter of fact, you, you, if you want to summarize the sermon, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a nice little succinct main point that we're going to walk out of here with in just a second. But you can summarize everything I'm saying by going to beam me up, Scotty. That was a five-minute Torah post that Darren wrote as we opened the book of Vayikra. It says what I'm going to say in less than five minutes. 
It's going to take me a little bit more than five minutes. But I want you to just know my intention in my heart. It is to bring clarity to your life and to empower you to live as a disciple of Yeshua in a new way. This is the main problem. According to Christian reckoning and theology, the sacrificial system that God has put in place is for one purpose. It is for the removal of sin that we might go to heaven. Fundamental consideration. And here, my friends, is the problem. Let me paint the picture of what that looks like. God, up there, you know, God, he's mad. He's very mad. He's mad at you because you're a filthy sinner. And God, right now, or let's say back then, God is looking around with his all-powerful eyes and he's looking over the earth and he's looking for you because you sinned and he wants to kill you because you're evil and you sin and he is mad. Since we sin, the wages are death, and since God is bloodthirsty and mad in the Old Testament, here's the system that we figured out. We figured it out. If we bring a cow into here and cut its throat and throw some blood around and like say some things, we're going to pacify the bloodthirsty God. Because as far as God's concerned, as long as something dies, it's okay. Because that God is mad. And that system works just fine. Every time it happens... You can kill something else and you can go in front and throw some blood around and you're still going to heaven until you run out of farm animals. Then you've got a pretty serious problem on your hands. And so God didn't like this solution. He didn't like what he set up. So he created a different solution. In this case, his son came to the earth and what he's going to do is he's going to be for you your bull, your goat, or your lamb. He's going to pacify that bloodthirsty God. And do you know who most of all said amen to that? The goats and the bulls and the lambs. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and I do not mean that disrespectfully. I'm making a joke. I'm not. Don't, don't take that this way, that way. But do you understand? I mean, let's just look at this logically. 
if it were the case that you and I could enter into the heavenly realms of God, that we could secure salvation for ourselves with the blood of a bull, why did Jesus need to come and suffer on this earth and die? It becomes nothing but a matter of convenience. I'm going to be able to have more steaks and butter and mutton chops because I don't have to anymore kill anything and take it into the bloodthirsty God because Jesus pacified him. It's simply a matter of convenience and health and happiness for the farm animals. Does that make sense? No. So the fundamental problem that we're looking at here is there is a massive and major misunderstanding of the purpose of the sacrificial system in the Torah by, and I do not mean this with any derogatory intention, the majority of the church. Because here is our big problem, today's main idea, Sin was not at the center of the sacrificial system. Sin in particular as defined by the world out there. But what was then at the center of the sacrificial system? Well, instead of the bloodthirsty, angry God approach, let's look at it through the Jewish lens. Let's look at what the real problem was. And we can look back in Exodus 29. Uh, do I have that? Here is, our, here is our difficulty. We just finished the construction of the tabernacle, right? Last book, Exodus, Shemot, Moses was there. And, and what happened? The glory cloud settled the presence of God was there, and then Moses just trucked right on in there, didn't he? Hey, God, what's up, buddy? What happened? He could not enter. Why? We are incompatible with a perfect, holy, sinless, pure God. That is the word I will stick with. Incompatible. But, 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 no way around it. We are incompatible. Now, we can thank Adam for that. You can also take responsibility and thank yourself for it too, because it's not all his fault. I'm sure you make some decisions in the course of a day that uh, you don't, don't blame Adam for those. We're not perfect, thus we are in compatible. But hold that thought for one second. The central point of the sacrifices is not sin and going to heaven. It is instead restoring our compatibility. Now here, is about all I'm really going to say specifically about the sacrifices. We just finished uh, reading through all of them in Leviticus. We have in chapter one through 
6, 1 through 6. We have the olah in Hebrew, the elevation offering, the burnt offering. We have the mincha, the grain offering. We have the shlami. We have the peace offering. In which of those three, and there are only two more, in which of those three did you hear me mention sin? Do you know why you don't hear me mention sin in three of the five offerings that are offered in the tabernacle by the priests for the people of Israel? Because they are not for sin. Do you know that our Passover lamb, if he is indeed a sin offering, do you know that the Passover lamb is not a sin offering? The Passover lamb is called a shlami, a peace offering offering, a fellowship offering, bringing near. So here's a challenge. If the sacrificial system is built around clearing and wiping away our sin, and there is, don't get me wrong, there is an element to that, and we're going to talk about it. Not today. But if it is for reconciling sin and bringing us to heaven, why are three of five of them not about sin? because it's about restoring our incompatibility. There are two more sins, the chatat sin and the, uh, the chatat offering, the sin offering, and the asham, the guilt offering. Well, there, you've, just, you've just undone your point, Damien. You've just undone it. I want to talk to you about sin next week. And I want to talk to you about purity and I want to talk to you about ritual purity and moral purity. But I do want you to get this from what I just said about sin. There is no offering for intentional sin contained within the Torah. Do you realize the system that sets up? If God says, listen, when you cheat on your wife, kill a lamb, it's all going to be great. Don't worry about it. When you kill someone, don't worry about it. Kill a lamb. It's all good. A license to sin. That's not the system. These sin offerings and guilt offerings are for things that have to do with unintentional sin. When we realize we've made an error and we confess the sin and we bring a, a reconnection to God. Okay? But there's a great example that I want to give you. Do you know what the tamid offering is? Tamid, by the way, it's kind of a confusing word for where we started. Tamid means continual, everlasting, never-ending. There's something called a tamid offering in the Torah. Do you know what it is? In the morning, we bring a lamb. In the evening, between the twilight, between the evenings, we bring a lamb. You can find that here. I think you can find that here. It shall be a continual burnt offering, an olah, an offering completely consumed and rising to the Lord, the elevation offering. 
It shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the doorway of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. I will meet you there with the sons of Israel and it shall be consecrated by my glory. What in the world is happening here? There's not even a mention of sin, Moses. God, what's up? The Tamid offering is an invitation to a holy God to dwell in our presence, which he said he wanted to do. How will we do that? We will invite him with the Tamid offering. And it will be what before God? A pleasing aroma. Man, he doesn't sound mad. He sounds happy about this. But there's nothing having to do with sin, just an invitation. And what happened? Guess what happened? He said it and he did it. His presence came and dwelt. But here's a bigger problem. I've already told you we were incompatible and we looked at the tabernacle and Moses, Moses, good old, pretty near holy Moses couldn't get in. What's the problem? The problem is that even if the presence is there, we need a covering. The furniture in the tabernacle needed a covering. Why is that? Have you ever heard, my God is a consuming fire? This week's Torah portion is called Shmini. We have two characters there that make a very famous story. Their names are Nadav and Avihu. They are Aaron's sons. Do you remember what they did? They didn't follow the rules to enter into the consuming presence of the Holy God. And what happened to them? Barbecue. Kosher, of course. No, kidding. We need a covering. Which brings me to this scripture, which is quite, quite important. <clears throat> then the Lord, this is, this is Vayikra 1. This is your introduction to the book of Leviticus. And the Lord called to Moses, and we spent a lot of time talking about this. Here's your small Aleph. Here's your spirit of Messiah. The Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, and you can see what he says. And he talks about the, the offerings. When any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, I'll come back to that word, korban. When anyone brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd. If it's a burnt offering, so on and so forth. And he'll bring it at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And what will happen? He will be accepted before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering that it may be accepted for him to make atonement on his behalf. Damien, you're wrong. There's salvation and going to heaven atonement. You've missed it. Stop your sermon series now. You're wrong. What is atonement in this context? The word is kafar. The word is kafar, a covering. When you do this and you lay your hands on this animal before me, 
my presence. You will have a covering. You will have a protection, unlike your, the, the dudes, Nadav and Avihu. You will have a protection. And you will be able to interact and be in the presence of me, the most holy God, the consuming fire who loves you and wants to be near you. But your incompatibility is reconciled by this kafar, at one meant, meaning atonement. I can come and be near you, God. Right? That is the atonement that is made. How is, the, how is it made? It's made by this word, offering, which you read in Hebrew is korban, which korban is translated in most Bibles, sacrifice. Sacrifice is a bad use of the English. Offering kind of gets there. Gift, gift. So you want me to give a gift to the bloodthirsty God? That's what this is, right? This sounds like uh, Babylon or something. No, no, that's not what I want you to do. It's not what he wanted you to do. You must have a covering. And the way that that covering is attained is by bringing before the Lord an offering, a korban, drawn from the Hebrew word karav, which means, does anyone know what karav means? To draw near. Here's what you're not hearing in the definition of karav. Pacification satisfaction of an angry, bloodthirsty God. You're not hearing that. You're hearing God say, draw near to me. I want you close. Come into my presence. And so, we have this system in place. We have not a, not a, a system that creates a, a, a pacification for a violent, angry God, we have a doorway to be and interact with a loving God who desires to be near us, and that is the Jewish way of seeing sacrifice. The problem becomes when we translate that over into saying that that system was the way that God intended for us to go to heaven. Because that is not the purpose of the sacrificial system. That has to do with sin. It has to do with purity. It has to do with reconciliation, all of those things. But the biggest difference that I want you to take away from here is this traditional kind of uh, 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 non-messianic viewpoint that sacrifice is death, blood, and destruction. It is exactly the opposite. It is life and blood and reconciliation. There's uh, scripture in Leviticus 11 or 7 that says, that's, that's fine, that says that the life is in the blood. You know this one? Everyone knows this one talks about the, the nephesh, the, 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 the life, the part of you that's life. But there's something else in you, the neshama, right? 
And so I'll end right here. Jewish kids start learning about the book of Leviticus when they turn roughly five years old, four or five. It's where they start their journey. Why? There's a nice Talmudic statement that says, the sacrifices are pure and the children are pure, so let the pure come and study the pure. That's nice. I want to give you a different, maybe more important, relevant for us. Why in the world would they start right there? Because what is uncovered and what we're going to eventually uncover is that this whole thing, God put this in place and God likes it. He still likes it. Even though it's not happening, why isn't it happening? Because there's no temple. But you see, there's, I've been talking about problems and reconciling things, but here's the biggest problem. Even before this, even before Abraham, even before Adam, last week I told you the Messiah and the concept of Messiah and the name of Messiah and the spirit of Messiah all was created before the foundations of the earth. Why? Because the Holy One, blessed is He, creates the remedy before the wound. And so what does this look like for a five-year-old child? Here's what a five-year-old child reads. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was all good. And he created this favorite dude of his named Adam. And Adam lived and walked in the garden, and God was walking around there too. And they were buddy-buddy, and everything was really good. And then all of a sudden, Adam screwed up. And what happened? Sin entered the world. And you, my friend, my little five-year-old child, you're done. Fail, fall, failure. But God was not done. And God gave and wrote this, this beautiful text with this beautiful plan that gave to the people a way through the Torah, through the priesthood, through the blood, through sacrifice, to reconcile the incompatibility that Adam had made to a certain degree. And so the sacrificial system and the idea of it to a five-year-old is to say, these are beautiful. These allow me access into the presence of God. I'm not separated. I am one. And you can just trek systematically forward. And you can already begin to see how that applies to Yeshua. When we say, I want to be in the presence of God, but I cannot do it alone. I must have a covering. And I need an, atone, I need an offering. And that part of it we all know. But all the details in between, we need to understand better. That, God willing, is our plan. Shabbat Shalom. We hope you enjoyed the weekly teaching. We'd love to hear from you with a comment, a prayer request, or questions you might have. We believe the mission and message of Messianic Judaism is something the world needs now. If you enjoy these teachings, would you consider financially supporting the work of Nachamu Ami by visiting our website at www.makingmessianic.com and clicking the Give Online button in the upper right corner. Thank you again for listening.